Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hola, Bob. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. And hello there to all you lovely people listening across the podcast universe. Welcome to Bearback, the podcast where we navigate our lives together as a bear couple. And we explore the quirks of our distinct cultures. I'm Ben and I'm British. I'm Benja and I'm Argentinian. The best. All right, let's not go there right now. And today... (laughs) We are talking about the compromises that each one of us have had to willingly, and sometimes not so willingly, make to live in a multicultural relationship. Oh, I think this might get a bit spicy, Bab. Are we going to find by the end of it? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Let's see, let's see. But before all that, let's talk about what we've done this week. So this week, I've been butch for a day, and I've went to see the football. Lads, 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 lads. It was very lads, 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 but it was a little bit like high-class lads. Oh. Mm. So what happened is that a friend of my brother, who has season tickets to go watch Arsenal, wasn't going to be using them this past weekend, so he gave them to my brother, and we went together to watch Arsenal be Norwich, which was a... Much, I suppose. I think that the most exciting was that we had like two for one in beer in the bar. Oh, that's good at a stadium because those prices are expensive, aren't they? I know. It's London to begin with. It's already expensive. And then if you figure it inside of a stadium, it's like far more expensive anyway. So, yeah, it was good. You would have left it, though. The bar had a fish and chip shop. What? You could have your fish and chips and then go to the pitch. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, I wouldn't have gone to the pitch. I'd have just stayed in the stadium in the internal area. Yeah, but they closed the curtains so you can't see the match from the bar. Oh, well, I wouldn't be bothered about that. I'd just go for the fish and chips, let's be honest. And half-price beer. And half-price beer, yeah, absolutely. It sounds amazing. Oh, it was really good. It was really good. It was very lads, 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 but it was really enjoyable. I'm, I really enjoy spending time with my brother. And also, I really enjoy watching football. We've had this conversation before. I love football. I love watching football. And the good thing about watching football here in the UK for me is that I love my home team back in Argentina so much, New Soul Boys, in my eyes, the best team in the world. Results may differ. And I haven't really developed any feelings for, or any sort of strong feelings for any team here in the UK. So what that means is that I can go, not stress, and just enjoy the show. And I can go watch whichever match is there available. And I'll just enjoy it. Wow. It's just like scrolling through Netflix then for you, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, I suppose. But I've I've been to a number of stadiums. The thing is, I'm constant with my brother. There's two constant in going to watch football with my brother. The first one is he's always free tickets. Is My brother always knows someone who has uh, season tickets. And at some point they don't use them and they give it to him for one match, obviously. I think the thing with your brother is just that everybody loves your brother. Oh, everybody likes my brother. It's just little things, like he'll post something on Facebook and he'll get literally a million likes. Oh, literally. My brother has, I think he has less friends than me on Facebook. He's very <laughs> limited. He posted one photo and suddenly like 100 likes. Yeah. He's a great guy. So. Yeah, I know. There's a reason why people like him. 
But the second constant is that this is the first time that actually someone's won. In seven years living in the UK and going to football matches with my brother, it has always been either nil-nil or 1-1 one, one in very boring matches. Mm. So obviously we have not been going to the right matches. Mm. But this one, Arsenal won 1-0, one, one so at least someone won. Mm. Someone had a reason to celebrate at the end. What were the celebrations like on the pitch when they scored? Because I'm not that bothered about football, but sometimes they do have quite interesting celebrations, don't they, when they get a goal? To be fair, there was only one goal and there was no interesting celebration here. Well, it was a goal that was a really, mm, was it a goal, was it not a goal? So they kind of celebrated, but it was kind of like, mm, is this going to be awarded, is it not going to be awarded? But yeah, no, it wasn't. But what I'm more interested about, than the football is the kebab that you had after the football. So for whatever reason, we were saying Kensington, that was just a matter of uh, hotel prices. And it happened that Kensington, although it sounds counterintuitive, was actually the cheapest one. But it's literally the most expensive place in the world. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, if you can imagine, we two for one on the stadium. We probably had, to be fair, we didn't have a lot of beer there. We had a couple of pints when we arrived. Then we had a pint in halftime. And then we had a couple of pints at the end of the match. Because, you know, you have to let people go. Absolutely. You have to let me, you don't want to be in the crowds. And let's be honest, you were quite merry by that point because your text, you were dropping a few consonants when and a few vowels when you were messaging me. I was like, he's had yeah. a few. He's had a few. So then we went back to Kensington, had a shower because we're proper people, had a mint, brushed our teeth, <laughs> and went out for another few pints. So probably at the end was about eight or nine pints between 2 p.m. and 10. A session. PM. A lads, lads, lads session, basically. So, but we were in Kensington, and of course, by like half nine, we were hungry. So we decided to go and walk the Kensington High Street to see what we can find. And we found these kebab plates that kind of looked like a takeaway. But it actually had a few tables inside. And we went in, so we had a, a shawarma that we shared... We had some kiva, really nice kiva, and some, oh, I can't remember the name, it's like a spicy roast potatoes. Oh. It was really nice. And two beers, and all of that was 60 quid. <gasps> Daylight robbery. 60 quid. For a shared shawarma, some kiva and some potatoes. I mean, did you at least get a tray of mints with the bill? No. <gasps> Hot towel? No, but we did get a shot of Fernet. For whatever reason, they had Fernet. Fernet, famously a popular drink in Argentina. Yeah. Which Wait, is, is it Italian? It's Italian. It's originally Italian. In Argentina, we drink just a little bit of, of Fernet Branca and Coke. Uh-huh. And what's it made from? It's herbs. It's like a herbs drink. It's vile. It's absolutely vile. You wouldn't have it in, on its own. Although I know people in Italy do. Even with Coke, it's still too bitter. Right, okay. I'm I, I'm not a fan, I have to be honest, but it was there, <laughs> so I had it. Well, while you were lads, 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 lancing it up in London, I was having a very cultured evening in Coventry. Culture, culture, culture. I'm going to ignore that and say that we went to watch the last night of The Proms, which is famously a concert series that the BBC do and it culminates on the last night of the proms where they play a lot of 
classic classical music and there's so many traditions a lot of flag waving a lot of union jacks in the air but because coventry is city of culture this year they have this amazing outdoor festival space called the assembly festival gardens i think it's kind of copied from what something similar that they do in edinburgh as part of the fringe and they've been having performers on every night in kind of spiegel tents but they have a big screen and they were broadcasting it live but then they kept cutting from the royal albert hall to basically people having a brilliant time outdoors in Coventry watching the proms. So was it like being in the cinema? You were watching the proms in the Royal Albert Hall on a screen? Or was it like a live orchestra there? No, Coventry? no, no. We were watching what was happening in the Royal Albert oh, Hall. Okay. But they kept showing clips of us watching it as in, you know, oh, look at people in Coventry watching the proms outside. But it was fantastic. And, and you would have loved it, actually, because before they did all the kind of, you know, Land of Hope and Glory, Jerusalem, all those kind of songs... They had a suite of music from Argentina. There really? some Argentinian composers. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you who it was, but there was an amazing accordion player. She played this amazing song, very tango, as you can imagine, inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a tenor, like a man with a deep voice. Is that right? Uh, tenor, I think it's high, isn't it? Uh, alto? No, alto is women. So that would be, oh, oh, what was it for men? A, a tenor, I think, was like the high. Was it a baritone, the one that was the... Or was, it, or was that because you know there's different names for women and for yeah. men? Oh, I can't remember where I. Well, anyway, I mean. Anyway, someone who sang classical music. Very, very deep voice. You wouldn't think that I used to work for a conservatoire. I mean, yeah. no, I mean. <laughs> there's people <laughs> that I know will listen to this and be like, Ben, you forgot that very quickly. Some things that you should know. <laughs> But yeah, so then we had. So we went from sort of high culture to. Well, gay culture, basically. We went to Glamorous, which is obviously a, a really cool gay venue in Coventry. Okay. Our friend Jelly Cube, the drag queen, was performing there. So we went and saw her show. I had an absolute blast. I was there with my best friend and, you know, she was let loose for the evening, left the kids at home with them, the grandparents. So we had a great time. I mean, she deserves it. She's a mother of three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, literally let loose. Footloose and fancy free in Coventry. We had a great time. So thank you to everyone at Glamorous for looking after us because it was just brilliant. We have to go. We have to go soon. We have we'll to go, go soon. We'll yeah, go yeah, soon. Yeah. Together. Because it was really funny because Jelly Cube was like, oh, where's, um, where's your wife tonight? And I was like, oh, he's watching the football down in London. And she was like, oh, been a bit butch. Uh, I am butch. Uh, I'm really butch. <laughs> Speaking of butch, ABBA are back. Yeah. You're not really that bothered, are you? No. I'm really excited. I know it was a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't talk about it last week because we forgot. Well, the thing is, I, don't get me wrong, I like other songs. I'll sing another song if it um, comes in nightclub. I mean, in nightclub for people our age, I suppose. But otherwise, am I super excited about our returning? Meh. But I did play the songs to you about 25 times, and you said that you quite liked them. One of them. The other one, eh. But I can't remember which one is the one that I like. I liked I Still Have Faith in You, whereas I'm standing, well, I'm standing both of them, but Don't Shut Me Down is my favourite. A lot of our time you spend listening, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I just think it's brilliant. And I think, you know, it's amazing how they've kind of kept that quintessential sound. It still feels very fresh. It feels like that was the music that they would have gone on to make if they'd have carried on and not split up in the early 80s. But there's the tour as well next year. Yeah, there's like a virtual tour, isn't it? Because it's not going to be them, them, is it? Yeah, it's kind of weird. There's that photograph of them, the promo photograph that they put out when they announced their return. And they essentially look like they're in like Tron or 
going to play a game of Laser Quest, or for British listeners, going as contestants on the Krypton Factor. I mean, that's really taking you guys back. But essentially, they're wearing these suits where I think they've been modelled in 3D. So when mm-hmm. you go and see the tour, they obviously won't be there. But it's kind of them who have created their own avatars. Okay. Are they going to give them facelifts? Well, it's what they looked like at the height of their fame rather than what they look like now. So that means, yes, they're getting facelifts. <laughs> Oh, I didn't want to be that crude. But, I mean, they've got an amazing stellar lineup of musicians who are going to be performing the music live at these concerts. I'm really, really excited because one of my favourite artists, particularly when I was at uni, is um, she's from Blackpool. She's called Little Boots, and I love her. She's an amazing singer, but really good on the synths, and she's going to be doing the, the synthesizers on the tour. So, yeah, one to look out for there. So, does that mean that we're going to end up going to watch Virtual Lava? Yeah, about that. Kind of already bought us tickets. Oh. <laughs> I mean, good to know. Well, if you would look at our diary more often, then you would know. Actually, there is one other thing that I did last week that you don't know about as well. What have you bought? Well, it's not really what I've bought, it's what I've eaten. What do you mean? Well, you know, like when I went to the dentist the other day and I was like, oh, it took ages because I had to have this filling and then I had to go and see the hygienist. May or may not have stopped at McDonald's on the way back. Okay. And then you came and had lunch. No, I didn't have lunch. You had a slim fast liquid lunch. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I came back and I was like, awkward. (laughs) You've literally had the most minging shake in the world. And I've just had a big tasty. So you skipped on our liquid lunch to go and have McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah, but I was driving past and, you know, it just... All the clues point to Cluedo. I mean, it it was there. I mean, what? The hygienist has just cleaned your teeth and you need a new food to fill in those caps. <laughs> I know, if she didn't knew that that's what I did. And I had full fat coke as well. <laughs> full fat coke? <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it was so... You know me, like, I'm kind of like take it or leave it with McDonald's, but whenever the big taste is on, I go in hard. I have to pretty much go weekly because the burger is all right, you know, the, the, the bacon, the, the salad, whatever. That smoky sauce that they put on it is like crack for me i am addicted to it if you could buy that in a bottle and just have that i would probably drink it i mean i'd be twice the size that i already am but it is i mean i don't know what that sauce is made of or what they put in it but it is stunning well the thing is if you could buy it you wouldn't go to mcdonald's so that's why maybe that's why they don't release how they make it and it's very clever because i used to say to my brother i remember because my brother's a big fan of big tasty as well shout out to james and i used to say to him well why do they just have it on the menu all the time but he said it's because it's people like me and him you know casual mackie d's visitors they know that when they put that on we'll go more often than we normally would have done if it was on all the time because it's like you want it more then marketing geniuses but i have to say do you remember when we went to portugal last year and they had the double big tasty i mean literally it was like all my christmases came at once we were in fatima you know the place where all the pilgrims go where the virgin mary appeared i know and we were looking for all these places to have lunch and then i was like i'm sorry i've just seen this poster that says mcdonald's in portugal are doing a double big tasty i'm going there and there was probably all these amazing like restaurants around but i didn't care i just wanted it double So as I was saying before, this week I went to the last night of the proms live stream in Coventry and 
there was these Argentine musicians. And the first thing I thought was, oh, I wish Ben was here because he'd really like it. And, you know, because Argentina. I mean, you might not have done, but I just assumed that you would have done because it's from your homeland. And I kind of thought it's interesting how being with somebody from another country... There are things where you kind of think differently and and, and certain things that you experience in your daily life get picked up. And then I got to thinking, actually, how has my life changed because I'm with you? And I don't necessarily mean you as a personality, although I think probably that's where this conversation will go because you can't base somebody's personality on the country that they come from. You can generalise. But I think there are certain things that you have done in your life that I'm now doing that I wouldn't have done before if we hadn't have met. And a lot of it is to do with the culture that you come from and vice versa. And I just thought Mm -hmm. it'd be really interesting to talk about that. Okay. So what are your thoughts then? Well, I'm asking you. I mean, what do you think in our relationship is the biggest compromise you have to make from a cultural perspective? Well, the biggest one is the obvious one as well. What? It's language. Well, you know, I'm really enjoying learning Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, so how long have you learned Spanish? How long... How long have you been learning Spanish for now? Uh, un, dos, tres, um, what's years in Spanish? Años. Años, <laughs> I should know that. So three years of studying Spanish and you don't even know the word for years. Años. Mm. I just said it. Well, yeah, after I told you so. <laughs> but no, seriously, language is the biggest compromise. And anyone can say your thing, well, but you already spoke English. You didn't speak Spanish before. So it kind of seems like the natural thing to speak English. However, I don't think people realise just how challenging or how mentally tiring can be to be in a second language. And you work and you work in a second language and you come back home, or in my case, I just walk down the stairs, (laughs) and you have to continue your life in English, which is, in effect, a second language. And as fluent as you can be, as natural as it comes, I dream in English, I think in English a lot of the time, it's still quite tiring. And also, I think that the part about the compromise that I think is the part where I kind of need you to learn Spanish is basically frustrations. Uh, when you're frustrated, when you are angry, when you want to curse to the skies, if I have to do it in English then it's it's a rational response rather than an emotional response because I have to think about it to express that in English. Whereas if I'm not thinking about it, if I'm doing like the raw emotional reaction to it, it would be in Spanish. It would be naturally in Spanish. So yeah, I think that language is pretty much the biggest one. It's tiring. It's really tiring. At the end of the week, I'll, you'll notice that after having worked a week, And after living all of my life in English, I start struggling finding words. I start uh, struggling putting sentences together. I make more mistakes in English as well. It's just that you are mentally tired. I think that's just the seven pints you had at the Arsenal Stadium. Yeah, but that explains (laughs) the other day. That explains one day. When you were texting me during the match, I was like, whoa. (laughs) But to be fair, that was an easy one. Because realistically, other than texting you, the rest of of my English uh, life at that moment was just, Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. Seriously, people from Arsenal, you need to get more original with your pitch songs. That kind of crap. Get better. 
All right, music maestro, why don't you come up with a new one for them? Well, because we do in Spanish. That's the thing. That's a, a... All right, we'll come up with one for Arsenal then. Well, but why would I have to come... That's my compromise. Why well, do I have to do it in you're, English? you're saying... Well, you can do it in Spanish if you want. Well, I'm not going to do it now. All my neurons are fried. Don't give it all that and give it the all I am I'm... when you're not willing to lay down and, 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 and have a go yourself. I'm a complainer. I never said I was a problem solver. Right. I'm a complainer. I'm going to try and do one then. Um, oh, Arsenal, you played football, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, oh, Arsenal. Yeah, but the thing is, in order to make a, a meaningful song, you need to know what you're talking about. You can't just make up a song about, oh, you play football. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you need to know about Arsenal, about its history, which I don't, to be fair. And that's why I cannot come up with a song about Arsenal. Well, they're in London, aren't they? So, Arsenal in London. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, there's like 20 million people in London, so it's not really original, is it? Arsenal for some people in London. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, you can have these guys for free. What are they called? Is it... What's their nickname? Gunners. The Gunners. Why are they called the Gunners? So, their logo is like a cannon. So, not a gun. Not a gun. But, I suppose. Right, okay. Anyway. Going back to the main uh, to the main topic, language is the biggest compromise that I can think of. Um, I, and again, is at this point. But I don't really feel that's a compromise for me and such. It's a compromise for your entire life here in the UK. Well, but realistically, if I uh, weren't dating a British person, if I were uh, dating someone who spoke Spanish, I, I wouldn't need to speak English when I stopped working, would I? Well, I'm sorry that I didn't have the option to learn Spanish at school. What did you learn at school? I did French for five years and I did German for three years. Well, to be fair, I didn't learn neither French nor German, so we just need to find languages that we, that we can both speak. Vous êtes jamais seul. Vous savez ce qu'il faut faire. Ne laissez pas tomber votre nation. La disco a besoin de vous. Yeah, that's just Kylie. <laughs> oh, uh, you need to just act really impressed and people are listening to this and think, oh my gosh, she speaks fluent French. Yeah, no, that's just Kylie. I don't think I know any German song. We used to listen to this girl band in German from Germany called Tic Tac Toe, and they had this song called Ich find's du Scheiße, Ich find's du Scheiße. Basically, I I think you're shit. Okay, so all your foreign languages goes through girl bands and well, yeah, I mean, obviously a massive fan of Bandana as well. Yeah, how does it go? I knew you were going to say that. Entonces llega la noche. Um, something Carazon. <laughs> okay. I to to Stay in class. I think for me, when we're talking about compromises, and it's it's probably not as grandiose as language. Although I am learning Spanish, thanks very much. I don't want a medal for it. But I think for me is my timekeeping is famously not very good, and I think now I'm getting into the Ben Hur timekeeping space, whereby you want to be everywhere two hours early. I want to be there like one minute late. So now I'm kind of thinking, well, let's try and get there a bit earlier. And I, and I think I'm really, I'm coming on leaps and bounds with that. I'm sorry, is that your compromise? 
yeah, that I'm getting better at timekeeping for you because I know how much it, it upsets you. You hate being late. When people say, oh, I don't like being late, like you literally, you physically become like a shell of your former self if you're late. Like you don't talk, you don't speak, you go in a huff. Like literally, you being late is the worst thing in the world. So it's like, well, I don't want to experience that. So I try and do things like start getting ready a little bit earlier, you know, make sure that I'm not like stopping every couple of minutes to look at my phone when we need to leave the house. So all of those things I understand. I still don't understand the part where this is a compromise for you. The last time we went to your brother's, that is an hour away from here, we left home an hour late. Yeah, but there was reasons for that because I was doing some baking. Still, we got there two hours late. Yeah, but it was like, it was pretty casual. We were having like a buffet. Like, it wasn't like we had to be there at like midday because we're sitting down to eat a three-course silver service meal. We were just having a few sausage rolls. Again, but two hours late is you compromising. No, that's not true. Like, you're using that one extreme example. I think more often than not, we're actually arriving places early, which is getting me a little bit stressed because I'm like, oh, we're too early now. What what are we going to do? And then we just have to, like, sit in the car for, like, three hours until, like, we can go into the cinema or whatever. No, we don't. That's not true. <laughs> Although it has to be said, when I went to London, I'm, I actually sent you a message because I parked the car in the train station and I got there 20 minutes before my train and I wanted a coffee. But I was already getting stressed because I'm I, all in my mind, I'm thinking there's 20 minutes to the train. I need to go get the coffee and it depends on how many people are there in the coffee shop it might be a long wait and then I have to go in find the platform and find where I can stand in the platform to make sure that I get a seat when I get on the train it just sounds like so much of an effort it's like get to the train station five minutes before the train we know the lovely lady who works in WH Smith there who sorts our coffee she's absolutely fantastic I shout at her you know as I'm coming down the concourse cappuccino please you know and she gets it ready for me like that's one minute even if there's a queue it's like two minutes maximum and then no it's not and then like straight up onto the platforms and jump on the train like yeah all right you might get in the carriage and it might be busier you might but then guess what you can move into another carriage while the train's moving you know you can do that it is acceptable but what's the need to when you can prevent it in, in, in the first place because then you've got more time at home to do the things that you enjoy what I do at home is just sitting there waiting for you to finish getting ready. No, but the thing is, it's like from here to London, it's like 50 minutes. So it's like, but if we go to, if I go to London with you, it's like two hours because we have to get to the train station and then, you know, decide what newspaper we're going to get and then get a drink. And then it's like all these things that we have to do when actually we could do them much, much quicker. It's like high speed or bend your speed. That, do you know what I mean? That's, that's what it's like. I mean, I'm a, I'm a girl about town. I'm here, there, <laughs> everywhere. Like, literally, I don't have time to be wasting my time to be waiting to do stuff. I have to be out there doing it. Like, look at this week. I was in Leamington. Then I was in London. Then I was in Preston. I'm all over the shop, Bab. I know. Yeah, Actually, everywhere. I didn't even... When we talked about the, the, the week we had, I didn't talk about going to Preston and bringing you back a butter pie. That was amazing. If anybody's in England and you go to the Northwest, get yourself to Preston. It's literally a pie filled, I think it's filled with butter and potato and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just incredible. So yeah. 
So I'm, I'm a girl about town. Yeah, I know. I, I know. You're a girl about town. And, and you're the girl that says, oh, I'm going to have a shower. And then spends 20 minutes in bed on your phone. And then you spend another 20 minutes doing something else. Then you shower. Well, when you're a girl about town, people are trying to get hold of you, send you messages, you know, might even send you a fax or a pager or anything. I've got, you know, I've got to fit in that time to get back to my fans. Don't get me wrong. I'll acknowledge that you're making an effort. I recognise that you are making an effort because I know that you are making an effort. However, in order for this to be your compromise, I think we're still, I think we're still a few efforts away from being able to call this a compromise because we're still, we're still late everywhere. Okay, well, let's come back to this in a few months' time. Maybe we can do like another little review Mm -hmm. of my timekeeping sitch. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, you can mark me as improved or maybe even outstanding. I'd prepare a spreadsheet. Next Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> oh God. And I know that you actually will as well. Yeah. You are like king and queen of Excel spreadsheets. I love a spreadsheet. I think another area where we massively compromise on is food. And I think the food is something that we both compromise on. It's like a double compromise, isn't it? Yeah. So for me, there's two things. I eat my evening meal now. <sighs> ridiculously later than what I used to do in no, the past. Normal times. Yeah, and what is a normal time to you? Mm, between half eight and nine? Yeah, half eight and nine. I'm literally falling asleep and then I'm having to wake myself up because I'm like, I need to have my tea now. For Argentinian standards, actually, half eight is relatively early. So a restaurant in Argentina will not open until eight, half eight. But why do you eat so late? Well, I, I think that we eat so late because we're used to it. But the reason why we're used to it is because in Argentina, we do four meals a day, not three. How have I not been told this before? Yes, you have. No, I haven't. Oh. I, I, You know, I'm all for, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I'm all for the for the extra meal. Yeah, so basically we have breakfast. And you know how breakfast is smaller. It's not a good breakfast. It's basically just a coffee, a latte, something like that. And then you have either bread and butter or pastries and charms and, and things like that. So it's like, what, is it like a continental breakfast? No, it's not even a continental. It's just a, it's just a grab and go. Well, it's quite disappointing. I have to say for all your culinary delights, breakfast, yeah. not a great time of day in Argentina. But then we have lunch, and lunch is proper lunch. You sit for lunch. <laughs> proper lunch. Well, I yeah, proper I mean, these... Like, you have a knife, and you have a fork, yeah. and you have a napkin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Proper lunch. <laughs> proper lunch. I mean, this thing of having a sandwich and crisps, and doing it in 15 minutes, it's just not good enough. That's not lunch. That's a snack. Oh. So we sit, and we have lunch. You have a proper plate of lunch. And then around... Well, you say you have a proper plate of lunch. What what kind of things would you have for lunch? So, most of the things that, for example, we would have for dinner, we would have lunch. Oh, so like empanadas, yeah, milanesas. A milanesa with mashed potatoes. Oh, nice. I mean... Why don't we have these things for lunch? Then what do you have for dinner in Argentina? Something different, but pretty much the same style meal. Okay. So, you have two, quite, two quite hefty meals yeah. then. Okay. Indeed. Well, the thing is, you have lunch because you have proper lunch, and normally at work you have an hour's break for lunch. You always have an hour's break for lunch. Paid. Yeah. I mean, you're at work. So, in Argentina, you're paid for the time that you are at work, rather than the time that you are working. So, if you were, if you have an hour's lunch, you're still at work. Mm. So, you get paid for that uh, for that time. What if you go to the dentist? You get paid for that time. Okay. It's, you have the, you pay for the amount of hours that you are at work. Okay. 
Um, what if you like need to go to the shop for like I don't know a chocolate bar? The thing is, unless you have to do something very specific or a job that kind of clocks you in and out, it's fine. Then it's fine. Okay. But then when you get back from um, from work, so around five half five. 6pm, you'll have something very similar to a breakfast. So you have mate, or you have a coffee, and you have like pastries or jams and bread and something like that. And that's our third meal. Well, I have to say, I was not party to this third meal when I was in Argentina. This is a curveball for me. I feel like I've missed out big time. Well, we always thought that you had four meals because five o'clock tea, we always... well. Only when I when I came here, I realised that actually five o'clock tea is not a thing. It's dinner. Yeah, it's dinner. <laughs> but it's not the having a tea, a cup of tea, and and having like small sandwiches and canapes and things like that. Mm. So, and then around nine we have dinner, which is normally the family meal because kids are at school, parents are working, and normally both parents are working. So you can have a big meal at night because it's your family meal. Mm. It's the one that you have all together that you sit around the table. It's the only chance that you get to have a meal all together. No, I get that. But it's kind of like you literally have your meal and then you go to bed. Yeah, pretty much. So we have, you have your meal and then you'll probably watch some telly, shower. But it's kind of like the one of the last activities of the day. You wouldn't just have dinner and then go play tennis. You know, you wouldn't just... It's one of the last activities well, of the day. Well, you'd probably be sick. If you just had a massive meal and then you went to play tennis, you'd be like, on the court. But a lot of people here in the UK don't do it. A lot of people in the UK, they have dinner and then they just continue with their day. Yeah, but they probably have have a rest. Like, I remember when we used to go, like, when we used to go swimming on a Wednesday, this was when I was at school, I was probably about eight or nine. Like, we wouldn't have our tea until after we went swimming. Because, like, I think somebody said that if you had your tea before you went swimming and you went swimming, you'd like sink to the bottom. Oh, no, but it's the cramp thing. You could get cramps if you That's got it. into water. Yeah. After two hours, you had to wait two hours after a meal. Otherwise, yeah. you would get cramps and you risk death. But we loved going swimming because we used to get a little snack in the car because we were like really hungry by that point. And then when we got home, we'd have our dinner. You see, four meals. Four meals and also year-round barbecues, which, you know, if you live in a country like Argentina that has a wonderful climate, you know, I mean, it does get nippy in the winter, but not cold, not like here. And so living with Benya, and as far as I'm aware, other Argentinians in this country, you basically have a, a barbecue any time of year. So I remember vividly, it was the 3rd of January, we weren't quite back at work yet after the Christmas break, and Ben was texting his friend who lives nearby, him and his, well, him and his wife, they're also from Argentina. And 3rd of January, it was freezing cold, like literally freezing cold. And they're like, oh, well, they've invited us over for a barbecue. And I was like, what? Like, is this an indoor barbecue? No, 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 this is a barbecue. And when we got there, like literally we were sat outside. Like it wasn't like, oh, we'll cook the food outside and then sit inside. We were all sat outside. I mean, and I don't normally mind the cold. Like I'm quite good in the cold. But even I had like about 25 million layers on. I was literally like, as I was eating my steak, I was like, like chattering my teeth. Like that's what, that's literally how I was eating the steak. It was brutal. That's not true. It was brutal. We did, we... I literally felt like the explorers who first went to the North Pole. Like literally, I think that's how they experienced it. And I felt a little bit of that in my Argentine UK outdoor barbecue on the 3rd of January. The 3rd of January. Yeah, 3rd of January, that's fine. The part where you're being a little bit dramatic is that we had drinks and, and nibble outside, but then the main meal, we had it inside, Bob. 
No, I, I distinctly remember having meat in my mouth. I mean, we like barbecues. And I was chattering, I mean, like we, literally chattering. We like barbecues, but we're not psychopaths, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you barbecue, and realistically, you do so many things outside in the cold anyway, why not barbecue? Because you just like sat there, and it's like, it's all right for you, or whoever's doing the barbecue, because you've got the warmth of the barbecue. I was literally exposed to the elements. Yeah, but you're having a drink, so you're getting warmer from alcohol. You're having a kneeball. Well, I think that day I was actually driving. But, you know, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Okay. It's just a bit of a mind shift that, you know, we joke in this country about, I mean, we this year we didn't have a summer, I mean, let's be honest. But, you know, where you'll do the barbecue in the summer, whatever the weather, with like, an um, you know, uh, whoever's doing the barbecue will have an umbrella on and everyone's sat inside. But, you know, I go to work and they're like, oh, what did you do this weekend? You know, in like February. And they'll be like, oh, we had a barbecue. And they're like, what? Seriously, are you, are you mad? And I'm like, no, I'm with an Argentinian. <laughs> we barbecue. When it comes to food, the part that I think that I compromise is on the things that you don't like that I do. So, because realistically, you know that other than one thing that I really don't eat, which is olives, the rest, I'm pretty much okay with everything. Do you know, I, it, just, it just astounds me that you don't like olives, considering that you have Italian heritage, like literally in your blood. I know, but I don't. I just don't. It's a, and it's a very invasive flavour, so it's the only thing that actually I just cannot have because it kind of invades the whole thing, the whole mm. dish. Oh, I love an olive. I mean, I'm, I don't get it. But then, as you're saying, there are things that I don't like, which you do. Yeah, and the thing is, is you have a thing with Tim Foods. You don't like Tim Foods. I'm with the posh one, people. <laughs> he doesn't like the, uh, Tim Well, no, Foods. there's some things I like out of tins, like custard. I'm quite happy with custard out of a tin. Yeah, but like fruit but... and meat and... No, 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 no. You don't like custard for a tin. You buy the pack, the the one that comes in cardboard, like the cardboard pack. Yeah, well, if I've got the choice, then I would prefer it out yeah. of the Tetra pack. But, you know... When in Rome, you know, if 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 there's no other choice, I will have it out of a tin. The thing is, I'm rice pudding, I'll have that out of a tin. Rice pudding, yeah. Although all those Heinz steamed puddings, you know, like the the sticky toffee or the chocolate mm-hmm. ones, fine with them. Fine with both. Basically, but, a dessert. Yeah, a dessert, really. <laughs> but the thing is, some the, the certain things, for example, a, a tin of tuna. You would not eat a tin of tuna, and I, not only I like, I really like um, a tin of tuna, but also it's it's something that is very practical and very quick that you can put on some rice, you can put on pasta, you can you can put on a salad, you can put on on, on anything and make a meal a little bit more heartier with something that doesn't require a lot of effort, and you won't eat it. And I'll eat fresh tuna, but tuna out of a can to me just tastes like the can itself. Like, I just feel like I'm eating aluminium. <laughs> and how do you know what aluminium tastes like? Because I've eaten tuna. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't eaten aluminium. <laughs> well, you you know, maybe there's a few things about me that you don't know yeah. about, Bob. But the thing with that one is that I think that one comes down to personal choices more than culture, isn't it? Yeah. The one that, again, I don't think it's culture, but it's still weird to me, is that you don't eat, you won't eat boiled egg. Well, I'll eat egg in almost any other form. It's just the texture of a boiled egg that I don't like. And again, boiled egg, super versatile, goes with everything. You can boil the egg and put it again on a salad and pasta and rice and whatever you I want. And you say this to me all the time. You're like, oh, it's so versatile. You can do this, you can do that. You're not going to change yeah. me, Bab. 
I know as well that there's a lot of people who like boiled egg, so I'm not going to generalize and say uh, British people don't like boiled egg. What I will say is that I found amongst the British people that I know that a far noticeable higher percentage of people from the UK don't like boiled egg in comparison with people in Argentina liking boiled egg. So I won't say it's a cultural thing, I don't think it is a cultural thing, but it does sort of strikes me as sort that from the British people that I know, a far higher percentage of them just don't like boiled egg. Well, do you know what? I think you're basically trying to say that Argentine culture is just more excellent <laughs> than British. Oh, Did you like my joke? Oh, there was a joke. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Instead I, of excellent. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I understood it. I just didn't laugh. I mean, when I speak about our relationship and I talk to people at work, I talk to my, to my friends and things like that, the thing that people always sympathise with you about is my inherent love of museums and quirky places. Yes. And I think for you, I would say that's a big compromise that I often don't appreciate because I just think, oh, this place is going to be interesting. You want to go. I mean, like some of the places that I've taken you to, and I know we've talked a lot about these on the podcast, but some of the other ones in terms of like the Whitby Museum. Do you remember that one? Yeah. So that was the one with the hand of glory. That was the, you know, the cut off hand that mm-hmm. came from a criminal that was embalmed, apparently hailed ailments or protects thieves or something like that. It was a warning to others of the consequences of crime, I think. And then on that museum as well, they had the Tempest Prognosticator, which was a weather forecasting device that was powered by leeches. But you know what? That one, I didn't particularly mind. So the thing is... Oh, she's changing her tune now. You didn't tell me that at the time. You were like, oh, this is really boring. It looks like Indiana Jones style. I still stand behind that. But it was so it was... cool. You could open all the cabinets and look inside. It and brilliant. there was nothing in it. No, they had some jet and they had like... What are those kind of ships that you put in bottles called? Don't know. Ships in bottles? Well, yeah, they had those. So the thing is, the, the reason why I didn't mind that one is because we were already in Whitby. Okay. So, don't get me wrong, I like a museum. I probably don't like museums as niche as you like them, so... The thing is, I love the fact that somebody has, somewhere along the line, decided that they love one thing or a series of things so much that they wanted to make a museum out of it. And I think I get passionate by their passion. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. And I don't have a problem with that, as long as we're there. The moment we digress from our route 60 miles to go to the Longmore Museum <laughs> that's the part that I have a problem with and we digress to solely and exclusively go to that place and suddenly you're doing a 120 mile round trip <laughs> to go to a museum that takes us two minutes <laughs> to visit we went to Stratford which is about 45 minutes away from here to go to the science museum that they have there, which is for children aged 3 to 11. <laughs> and it literally took us two minutes to go around it. But it was, no, it was fine. And then we went for a nice coffee. We had a spot of lunch. You know, we made the most of it, Bab. Not worth it. I mean, some of the places that I've taken you, people would, you know, people would wish they were my boyfriend. The Merseyside Maritime Museum, I took you to a smuggling exhibition and you saw some artefacts that were taken from the wreck of the Titanic. Yeah, so it was basically cigarettes taken from the different custom places all over the world, including the Titanic. And then we went to Gnome World. 
in Devon. Oh. You saw the world's largest collection of gnomes. Yeah, and that pretty much says it all. We went to Letterworth to the town hall just to see three model railways <laughs> that they had built there. You mean like three mini set? But, you know, the craftsmanship on there was stunning. They had a display of vintage buses outside. Yeah, that you couldn't get into. There were just three old buses. And there were three old buses that it has to be said that I've probably been on. <laughs> so they weren't that old. We're not talking about buses of the 1920s. We're literally talking about buses from the 1980s and 90s. But it's still retro. And that's the thing. If we're there, if we're already there, I don't mind. The Maritime Museum, we were already in, Louis- in Liverpool. So fine. Perfect. We had the time. I really enjoyed the Tate as well in Liverpool. I do like a museum. It's just that... Going out of our way for the sole purpose of going to a quirky museum and then get the disappointment of having to go through a Morrison's to get to the carpet museum that was actually a loom museum and I didn't get to see the carpet of the rich and famous, not worth it. So are you saying that when I take you to railway museums when we go abroad that you're quite happy with that as well? Um, well, for example, when we went to Moscow, we went to three different railway museums. We went to three in Moscow, three in Japan... We went to the one in Slovenia, you took me to the one in Argentina, and I mean, we've been to, as you said, lots in the UK and model railway exhibitions as well. But what I want you to know is that I do appreciate that it's something that you would never do if you weren't yeah. with me. Oh, and I, I, had never, I had never gone to the railway museum in Argentina, never. You know, it's not something that I take for granted, and I always, I always am grateful that I come up with these crazy day plans like when we went to Stourbridge and we rode on the shortest train journey in the UK mm-hmm. and it's basically like a little kind of carriage yeah it's like Mini a carriage. carriage with an engine underneath and it kind of pootles up and down this kind of very very short piece of track yes there's just so many incredible museums in the world we talk about railway museums I've been really fortunate enough to go to ones from places like Latvia to Cyprus China to USA when I was in India, I went to the Sulab International Museum of Toilets. That was incredible. So they had a French toilet that was covered in British literature. <laughs> See what they did there. So basically you were shitting on the, mm-hmm. on the English. Yeah, yeah. They also had a nuclear-powered one that, for obvious reasons, never went into production. One place that I'd really love to take you is the Derwent Pencil Museum in Keswick. So you can see the world's largest pencil. Yeah, I I think I've already seen the world's largest lawnmower. I think I'm good. The Bakelite Museum in Somerset. That's what? So Bakelite is phenol more more. It's a type of resin. Okay. Um, so a museum of resin. It's like a, a form of plastic, and they have basically this whole collection of all these weird and wonderful things that are made out of Bakelite. So picnic basket. There's a caravan. There's a plastic coffin there as well. But that's currently without a home, so maybe we could take that on? I mean, <laughs> I definitely need to start pushing back when you try to take me to this place. <laughs> but seriously, there are a lot of museums that I want to go to. I, I know I keep talking about this all the time, but I really want to go to the Northampton Museum and Art Gallery that's just reopened because they have 15,000 shoes in their collection. It's one of the largest shoe collections in the world. They have an Egyptian sandal, they have Queen Victoria's wedding shoes, and they've got Dr. Martin's, because they are still made in Northampton. The Dog Collar Museum, I think it's in Leeds Castle. I want to go there. I mean, love. But the, no, no, no. No, but no, no. Wait, wait, before you continue, just don't. I'll take you there to the retail estate. We'll go through Sports Direct and come back through Pets at Home 
there you go. You have all of your shoes, all of your dog colours that you want. I say, <laughs> we don't need to travel to a museum for it. But literally, just down the road from us, there's a place called Lampert Hall. And Lampert Hall is home to Lampy, the world's oldest garden gnome. If we go there, you can tell people that you've been to the largest collection of gnomes in the world. And then you've seen the oldest. And there was apparently there was 21 of them. But he, the daughters of the guy who collected them from Germany in the Victorian period, I think it was like the 1840s, they didn't like them. So they, I think they destroyed them all. For whatever reason, he survived. Yes, I would be able to say that I've seen the world's largest gnome. I would probably actively choose to avoid bringing it up in conversation, though. It's not the world's largest, it's the world's oldest. Oh, well, just doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because I've got a little quiz for you. Uh, about? Basically, we're going to play a quiz to see how all these museums that I've taken you to over the years, Mm -hmm. were you actually paying attention? Probably not. So you ready? Uh, Okay. Now, it's time for your favourite afternoon game show, Museum Matters, where you'll be tested on all the museums you've been to since you got together with Ben. Speaking of whom, here's your host, or should that be curator, Ben Goodwin. You're underestimating what curators do, Bab. Did you like that, though? Uh, yeah, it sounded like a sitcom in the 80s. Well, do you want to know what your prize is if you win? Uh, sure. I will put the bins out tonight. I've already done that. I will put the bins out next week. Okay. <laughs> Let's call that a prize. See, that's compromising. Oh, now who's doing the jokes? Right, okay, question number one. And it's a multiple choice question as well. Okay. So when we visited the Museum of Carpet in Kidderminster, we saw a demonstration of what? Is it A, power loom, B, top loom, or C, bottom loom? I'm going to say it's a power loom because it was automatic. It wasn't a manual loom than what we saw. Correct. It was A, a power loom. A mechanised loom, a device to weave cloth and tapestry, was one of the key developments in the industrialisation of weaving during the early Industrial Revolution. Okay, I kind of faced out halfway through that phrase. (laughs) It says on their website, the sound of a power loom weaving at full pelt is unforgettable and truly atmospheric. Yeah, and that's why I don't remember it. Well, I think we saw two, actually. They have a Wilton and an Axminster power loom there. Okay, next question. (laughs) Question two. Last year in Tamar, Portugal, we visited Musée dos Fósforos, the Matchbox Museum, which displays some of the 43,000 matchboxes collected by one man, Achilles da Mota Lima. He collected his first matchbox in 1953, featuring which famous person? Was it A, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, B, Queen Elizabeth II, or was it C, Elvis Presley? Hmm, that's a difficult one. I don't know, was Elvis big in Portugal in the 50s? I don't know, I'm going to go with Elvis. <coughs> B, Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, look at her, in matchboxes. Yeah, well, on, he, he was on his way to ship by London, and he, he actually was going to attend the coronation of, of the Queen, and he met an American woman who asked him to see if she could pick up a few matchboxes designed for and dedicated for the occasion. And, um... She then asked him for further travels if he could start collecting more because she was collecting them. And then he was like, actually, I quite like these. And 
he started the collection from there. So he, so he stole someone's hobby. <laughs> he would buy two, so he'd give one to this lady and then he would keep one for himself. Yeah, so he stole her hobby. Well, I don't think you steal a hobby. I think you just fall into it, don't you? Mm. Just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean that you can't. Otherwise, there'd be like no hobbies because we'd all be doing different things. Mm, sounds like a rebuff. <laughs> okay, question number three. Our first holiday together saw a stop at the British Lawnmower Museum, which is situated at the rear of a hardware shop on the edge of Southport. 60 miles off route. <laughs> All right. What is the name of the shop? Is it A, Billy's Security, B, Jerry's Security, or C, Stanley's Security? Oh, I don't know. It was a hardware shop. It wasn't a security shop. Jerry. <laughs> It was C, Stanley's Security. Ah. Established in 1940, according to their website, they are Southport's leading locksmith and are members of the Master Locksmiths Association. Wow. But the museum, as we say, has become one of the world's leading authorities on vintage lawnmowers. So, um, the only. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there must be other ones. But you do this all the time. It's like when we went into Coventry to what you said was the world's largest B&M. Yeah, it's the world's largest because it doesn't exist elsewhere outside of the UK. It's the UK's largest. It's the world's largest because it doesn't exist anywhere else. Well, for only £3 per ticket, I would say the British Lawnmower Museum is worth every single penny. Question four. Just outside Osaka in Japan, we visited the Cup Noodles Museum dedicated to instant noodles and their creator, Momofuku Ando. He used chicken ramen for the first flavour, but what year did he invent them in? Is it A, 1949, B, 1958, or C, 1971? I don't know, but see, that's an example of a museum that actually I enjoyed, and I didn't mind, uh, it was on the way, so we had to take the train... Yeah, we went out of the way quite a bit for it, but yeah, but it was the same train, which is um, which is got off the train and then took a later train when we went back from the museum. So we got out of the way, but that one I didn't mind, and I got to draw. You got to make your own cup noodles. Exactly, that was really nice. Regarding the year, I have absolutely no clue. I'm gonna say the forties one. <laughs> B, 1958. However, the famous cup noodle brand didn't come out until 1971. So. There was no relevance for 1949. So. Okay. okay, so you've got one right so far. You're obviously not going to get over the average mark, but let's try on this one. Question number five. At Moscow's Vodka History Museum, we learn about Russia's favourite spirit and saw more than 1,000 varieties of the hard stuff from around the world. However, who or what else calls the museum home? A a cat, B, a stuffed wolf wearing oven gloves, or C, the world's largest cannon. Disappointing museum, by the way, because we didn't get a taster. I really, really thought that we would get a taster. Do you know what, though? Apparently we should have done... I've been on TripAdvisor since, and everybody else... They must have had an off day when we went. I mean, we're going to leave a review then, like four years later. (laughs) Um, Oh, I don't know. I don't know, the wolf with the mittens, was it? No, it was a cat. There was a cat that followed us around the museum. Was it? Yeah, a black and white cat. There was a stuffed bear wearing oven gloves with an accordion, randomly. 
And we did see the world's largest cannon, but that was the Tsar cannon, which is in the grounds of the Kremlin. So you got one out of five. So clearly, when I take you places, you don't listen to anything. You don't read anything. And we need to work on this, Bab. Bab, I'm barely in this conversation right now. So, compromises. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, you like museums, but which I didn't think you did, but you don't learn anything from them. Well, I like museums. It's just that a very, 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 very niche museum, very out of the way. No, it's just, it's a compromise. And you wish you had a Spanish-speaking boyfriend. Sorry about that. Well, you're getting there, eventually. (laughs) I mean, in three years, you barely learned how to say your name, which is, what's your name in Spanish? Mi amo Ben. Uh, Okay. More or less. But why? What is it? Well, your name in Spanish actually is Benjamin. Oh, I thought you said what? How do I say what my name right. isn't? What my name is? So Spanish. apparently you don't understand English either. <laughs> right. All right. Well, some of us did went out last night. You know. Yeah. A bit tired. <laughs> a bit emotional. <laughs> a bit emotional. Give me a break. I don't know. Do do. I think it's. I think it's one of those things. I think everybody in any kind of relationship has to make some compromises, and you no, know, even if you're from the same country, you're going to come from different parts of the country where you have been brought up differently. People think different. You know, I mean, even in even in England and stuff, the way that people raise their children and things like that, it all varies in yeah. different areas. And it's different family dynamics. It's different friends dynamic. I think that one of the things that I'm really glad that I don't really have to compromise there and that you don't have to compromise there as well is that you have a relationship with your friends which is very similar to the same type of relationship that I have with mine. So actually, us sort of getting into each other's friends group it's been quite easy if you like so there's no compromising there in terms of the way that you relate and the rapport that you have with people so there's a lot of compromising like you say in every relationship but also there's a lot of things that just click well i'm getting a bit emotional bab oh i mean we've been in a relationship but if it were all compromising we wouldn't be in a relationship. Right? I mean, really, like, literally timekeeping and museums. I mean, the language thing, yeah, is quite a big thing. The food thing, I think we kind of met in the middle, really, anyway, so... Yeah, and the thing is, is whenever you work in the office, I literally have a bowl of rice <laughs> so with boiled egg, a tin of tuna, <laughs> tomato and mayo. And I eat it that cold. And, and occasionally you might sprinkle it with some beans as well, because, <laughs> I mean, beans make me gag. To be fair, in that, I don't like baked beans. I don't like... No, it's not... Sorry, it's not that I don't like baked beans. I don't like beans in tomato sauce. I like beans any other way, just not in tomato sauce. <laughs> but I, I, I just don't like beans at, at all. Any kind, any kind of pulse. I'm not, I'm not a fan. Well, the thing is, normally in the country, you buy new teens and you don't need things from a tin. There you are. You learn something new every day about mm-hmm. well the listeners have hopefully learned something new about me um, and maybe they've taken an example from us in terms of how we compromise to be together in how we accept oh God, the other are you one. trying to position us as like self-help gurus because if you're going down that route you are literally banging on the wrong door mm, i mean i'm good at giving advice <laughs> yeah but like professionally like that you know might affect people's lives like i i think we need to we need to stay well away from that Maybe we should put like a column, you know, like an advice <laughs> column or something like that. Well, if you do want to write in and get some advice from either myself or Venya, you can do that by tweeting us. I don't think anyone's going to do this, by the way. You can tweet us at barebackpod. 
prove Ben wrong and write to us or comment to us the MS on Instagram at Bareback Podcast. Or you can email us if you've got a really longer problem that you want us to really get to the nitty gritty with. Uh, we are at, no, we're not at, we're barebackpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, just search Bareback. Oh, there's loads of ways you can get in touch. Okay. And you never know, we might even read that message out next week. If you're in a relationship, or even if you have a roommate, where have you compromised? We want to hear from you. Tell us, what ways have you compromised for other people in your life? Do you know, I think people, when you say about roommate and people who have like flatmates and housemates type thing, I think it's mainly going to be around like the food in the fridge. Like, oh, they always take my mayonnaise or they're always helping themselves to my crisps and not replacing them. I think, and it's like making that compromise that you just accept that that's going to happen. I think that's going to be a big thing. Let us know, guys. Right, so you've put the bins out tonight. What do we need to do now? I'm going to take a nap because, I mean, all these museum talk just put me to sleep. Well, I'm going to go and plan our next jaunt. And um, I'll tell you what, that shoe museum in Northampton is looking pretty sexy. Mm, compromises. Bye. Bye. <laughs>